To this day, the world is still a dystopia. Hello, everybody. It's Katie. Sunjay. Sakana. And you are listening to the Dystopian Detectives. Our topic for today's discussion is the acclaimed animated movie series, The Incredibles. We're going to be discussing not only the plot and storyline of these two movies, but also the lesser analyzed yet extremely integral aspects displayed within both the movies. Spoilers included. We will particularly analyze the dystopian qualities of the two films that could make you look at your favorite family of superheroes just a little differently. And for this purpose, we will be using the definition of dystopia that was created by our X-Core 3010 course, Dystopias Real and Imagined. According to this particular definition, a dystopia is an imaginary or real place whose people may lead a restricted and oppressive existence under some form of authority. I know a lot of you guys may have seen both movies, but in case you didn't, the Incredible series is centered around the Bob Parr, Helen Parr, and their family of three children, Violet, Dash, and Jack-Jack, as they aspire to live normal lives with superhuman capabilities that have been banned in Metroville. The first movie is about the Pars overcoming the stigma of heroes having an awesome moral compass. Due to the indifference or laziness of the citizens that they serve, the human villain named Syndrome manipulates the public into believing that he has superpowers, despite being human and funding a secret genocidal program for supers. In the second movie, new superheroes, along with the Par family, are reassembled in an attempt to restore the tarnished image of the supers. This was done by providing the citizens of Metroville with a more in-depth view within the lives of superheroes through the use of technology, particularly into the critical decisions they have to make while fighting off the villains. The manipulation and authority of the national government is also highlighted in this movie through the way they try to create a negative image regarding supers amongst the general public and also with the way the behavior of the powers and their enemies are constantly monitored in both the films. Now for the good part, dystopian themes. We've all found our own examples to link events in the world created by Pixar to recent events seen around the world. For better understanding, we've also managed to break those examples into three categories. The first one is marginalizing language. According to Los Angeles Times, back in 2012, two Filipino nurses were speaking their native language of Tagalog and coworkers were told to spy on them during their shifts and to report to their manager whether or not the nurses were speaking English the entire time. The actions of the coworkers show that they were discriminating against where the nurses were from. Minority groups usually lack spaces where they are free to communicate fluently in a way that's comfortable. This is a dystopian trait because the marginalized group in a dystopia are usually identified by a specific keyword that encompasses their place in society and makes them unlike the oppressor. The oppressor also denies the oppressor the freedom to act completely according to their own free will, which is what occurred when the two nurses were forbidden from speaking to their families or each other in their native language without the consequence of losing their job. 
second category of dystopian themes discovered was suppression of cultural identity. People, especially within public settings like that of schools or offices, often tend to face discrimination with the way they prefer to portray their culture or heritage and at times have to face consequences for this as well. For instance, during January 2020, a similar case came to the forefront where a black Texas student had to face in-school suspension for wearing his hair in dreadlocks, which he claimed that he had been doing since seventh grade and was part of his Trinidadian heritage and his way of expressing it. But the high school claimed that it violated their dress code policy. He was barred from the classroom and also may not be able to walk on his graduation unless he cuts his hair. This particular example is dystopian with the way an individual is barred from expressing his identity the way he desires to, and instead a sense of uniformity is tried to be created, which on a disciplinary level might be necessary, but should not be done on the expense of someone's individuality. This cultural repression in a real world is similar to the Incredibles with the way the supers were restricted to express themselves with what made them who they were, which in their case was the superpowers. The last category we found was religionist identity. Religionist identity is when one feels that their religious is them, that they show it through their clothes and through their faith or through demonstration. According to Pew's Research Center, Middle Eastern women or men who are discriminated against because of how they show their face or demonstrate their culture. A student was sent to detention because it was time for her daily worship and the teacher wouldn't let her use the art room to pray, even though he left it open for students to use. This is just one example of how a lot of people are judged based off of their religion and based off of how they look. This discrimination is due to the fact that the young lady wasn't allowed to practice her religion because it was different and during class time because it's not normal and not everyone does it. It's a repression. This is just like the Incredibles when they weren't allowed to practice their powers outside the help of the citizens. Powers are like an identity for superheroes. They live and breathe it. So this was discrimination from the citizens towards the superheroes because denying oneself, one's religious views, one's cultural views, and one's language is wrong, repression, and discrimination. Now let's move on to the dystopian aspects present within both the movies. According to the definition mentioned before, one characteristic of a dystopian society is that its people lead an oppressive existence, and the oppressed group in this case are the people in Metro World with the superpowers. They are the minority not only in the number, but also in how they were almost treated like an outcast and marginalized for the possibly destructive tendencies while making attempts to protect the city from the villains. So as a result of this, they almost had to live in hiding. The authoritative group was the citizens of Metroville. The Metroville citizens decided what happens to the supers and whether they can legally be them or force them into hiding. The citizens voted for the superheroes to be banned from using their superpowers in the first place. The citizens could possibly even use their weapons against superheroes even after banning them from using it just because they feel unsafe. The government, Mr. Dicker, keeps tabs on all the super families. 
and where they live, making sure that they are assimilating nice to the community. The government chose even where they lived, assuming that they can hide the supers away or even punish them for having powers. The Parr family was exploited by supervillains in both movies, and they didn't have any idea that they were being exploited in either movie as well. Um, Syndrome um, was getting rid of superheroes without them actually knowing that they were being put in a program designed to get them killed. And Screen Slaver was controlling the minds of supers without them realizing and gave off a horrible perception of themselves to the greater public. So that's all we have for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation and maybe found a new outlook towards The Incredibles movies. Were we correct in our analysis of both movies? Let us know. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share this podcast if you're into this sort of thing. Dystopian detectives are out of here. Bye.